We are continuing in with John, because John, remember, kind of took his own path here a little bit, and so we're following along with John this Wednesday, and then next Wednesday, we get to some real fun stuff, guys. It's the first sermon Jesus ever taught. Well, that we understand of, right? It's actually all four Gospels next week. Next, next Wednesday is going to be all four Gospels following one. So like, that's going to be, I mean, I may need to like split screen so you can see all four Gospels simultaneously. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. But this is something that John tells us. And this is commonly referred to as the woman at the well. So I did a fun play on words. It's very punny. Worship well. It's a well in which she learns to worship, and we should learn to worship well. So that's what we're calling this one is, yeah, you see, I'm not as good as James, but, you know, it's, it is jokes, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right here we've got this. Oh, thank you, Vanna. Uh, bring that on up. Bring that on down. Uh, anybody who needs it, raise your hand right there. Uh, so we've got some copies for it. You can also find this here. So... The first thing I need you to know about these notes that, that we've prepared for you, because as I said, they're slightly different. Uh, I'm not going to be saying and reading everything that's in these notes, much like Sundays, okay? Because like when you look at Sunday's notes, you're going to be like, okay, I heard you talk, but you didn't talk about all this Old Testament stuff. That's extra stuff in there that's just to help underscore the bigger idea. So there's a whole section in here that like I'm going to mention about, but I'm not going to read in detail. Uh, and then there's definitions as we go through. So let's start into this as to what we're looking at with this idea. So we were in John chapter 2 uh, and chapter 3. And we stopped at chapter 3, verse 24. So what we're going to do is we're going to just look at chapter 3, verse 25 through 30. John chapter 3, verse 25 through John chapter 3, 30. Okay, okay, okay. someone got it. Yeah, there we go. Um, and that's nothing to do with where we're studying today, but it's just awesome because, you know, it's like our fundamental scripture around here. So we got to read it. Like you can't just, Jesus doesn't say anything in the rest of chapter 3. But John says some pretty good stuff. So we're just going to take a quick break and look at that real quick. But before we jump into it, we need to understand this statement right here, just, just, just right here, which is John's gospel is commonly called an abstract narrative, okay? It is not considered a synoptic gospel, meaning his job, what he wrote, he was not trying to synopsize the whole of Jesus' ministry. What he was trying to do was kind of pull together this one thought. This general one thought that comes up all over the place in John is this idea of eternal life. He goes through it and talks about eternal life. He talks about this light thing that we talked about on Sunday. And then he talks about this living water thing that we're going to talk about today. So, I mean, this eternal life concept is everywhere in John. You could basically make the argument that that's what he wanted you to understand is this eternal life thing comes through Christ. Like that's pretty much all he cared about that you got. So he pulls together Lots of things, lots of poetry. He uses things like parallelism, where he's saying one thing, but he's meaning two things. And that's most of Scripture because, well, we all know that all of Scripture is given for spiritual application or spiritual understanding and natural application. Y'all messing me up on my own statement. Ugh. Y'all are leading us astray. So let's read John 3, 25 through 30, and then we're going to jump into this woman at the well concept here. So John 3, verse 25 uh, through 30. Um, like I said, I just want to read it together. So, and there arose a question. This is John chapter 3, verse 25. There arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Okay, so John's disciples and, 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 and the Jewish people. So John's disciples are Jewish people, but they were kind of 
ostracized a little bit because they're kind of not doing things the same way. Okay, so And they're asking about purifying. This is talking about like baptisms and stuff. That's what they mean by purifying. It says, verse 26, And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say like master, like the guy who's teaching us, teacher, he uh, that was with thee beyond Jordan, that's Jesus. So this is in reference to when Jesus was being baptized by John. So they're saying, hey, the guy, Jesus. They don't say Jesus right here, but he that was with you beyond Jordan when you were baptized in Jordan, to whom you bore witness, meaning you said, like, hey, he was, he was this guy. And behold, the same baptized. So they're clarifying. If you didn't catch that, they're clarifying. This is the guy that was in Jordan, the guy that you bore witness to, and the guy that you baptized. That dude, Jesus. Now all men, or and all men come to him. So, guys, <laughs> this is typical people, all right, First, just, just so we understand what's happening here. They're disciples of John, and them and some other Jewish people are having this conversation about baptism, and they're like, but that guy's getting the bigger church and all the followers. What about you, John? And this is John's response. Verse 27, John answered and said to them, A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. Verse 28, Ye yourselves bore witness to me. So you bore witness to me. And I said that I am not the Christ. So basically, you guys are missing it. You're looking at me, and I told you not to. Get out of here. I mean, he's basically saying, Why are you still following me? Like, <laughs> but that I am sent before him. So he's saying, I was sent before him to prepare the way, to do some work ahead of time, right? In verse 29, it says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Guys, come on, we already read all about the wedding and everything. So you see John, he's, he's, he's right here still. He says, but the friend of the bridegroom, so like the best man, kind of an idea, almost like the one doing all the work to keep the wedding party going. Are y'all catching this, okay? If you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about, go back and watch the other sessions, okay? Um, <laughs> he stands and hears him and rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice, this, so meaning like when the groom's there, like yeah, like, yeah, the party's here. He says, this is my joy, therefore, fulfilled. Verse John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. And then he goes on talking about how from above speaks from above, but the earthly man speaks of the earthly man. And he kind of dives into this thing. This is like a huge ultimate understanding, guys, here of to be nameless. I mean, John had the opportunity. He could have kept building John Baptist International Ministries. Like, he could have done that. But he said, no, it's about this. I just came to prepare. I came to do some work ahead of time. Now he's doing his work. And actually, just like at a wedding where the party's going on when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the groom's there, my joy is completely fulfilled. I am actually fulfilled in being nameless in this. And then he says the phrase that we say here all the time, the statement, so he must increase and I must decrease. That is something that we need to grasp hold of, to understand joy and fulfillment that comes from completely being nameless and less of ourselves and more of the Spirit. That is pretty powerful stuff. That's why we chose to plaster it on the side of our building. Let's continue on, and you'll actually find something quite I apologize if I'm having trouble speaking today. Um, Kind of interesting is we're going to see a callback to this as we read this evening. So, yes, you are looking at those numbers right. We are going to look at like 38 verses today, okay? I'm going to do my best to go as quickly as I can, um, and we're going to run through this. So the woman at the well, this is kind of a popular story, um, and 
there's a few things we need to understand about this story before we jump in. We've got to set the scene properly. We've got to kind of know what mode and what, what tone is being taken here. So the first thing you need to know is all this stuff about Jewish and Samaritan people, which I'm going to give you a brief understanding. And as you can see, I've got several paragraphs right here about that because it's pretty big. And I gave you a site right here. This link is actually the full article uh, and detailed story about that. I just pulled out the sections and areas that speak the best. So let's set this scene real quick with this idea and understanding of Jewish and Samaritan people. One of the things you need to understand is Jewish and Samaritan people are not like, um, you know, people from, I don't know, Argentina and people from here. Like, completely different nationalities, different ethnicities. Like, that's not what this is. These are actually the same people, okay? They're actually the same country and the same culture. But what you have is, if, just in a brief understanding, is there's a, there's a division that happens, and where the Samaritan people come into being is actually during the exile that's mentioned in Daniel. So if you go all the way back to Daniel, you'll see that the Babylonian Empire, uh, which were like Assyrian-type people, right, they came into the northern kingdom of Israel, and they basically captured a bunch of people in the south, and they, for 70 years which is a prophecy that said it would happen, that they were separated and all this kind of stuff. And during that time, you, when they got back together, okay, when they were let go and they all could become one, you have, after 70 years of being in one nation and 70 years, you have two different beliefs. They're still centered around the initial books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books, it's called the Pentateuch, or Pentateuch, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, so those five, right there, the Samaritans only observe those five books. No other book matters to them. There's only a few hundred Samaritans left in the world today, like people that still uh, view it this way, um, and they still live in the same general area that they did live on this specific mountain. And the big argument with them was the fact that the Samaritan says, we hold the true covenant because we worship on this particular mountain that's mentioned in one of those five books. And Moses is like their guy. Moses is the man of the hour, too sweet to be his hour. Okay? And Joshua's like, he's pretty good, but, you know, Moses. And they don't care about anybody else. Nothing else. Isaiah, all that other stuff, they don't observe it. They don't look at it. They don't care about it. They just care about this. And their argument is, we're the true faith. All of you Jewish people with all the rest of this stuff, y'all have, y'all are, no, y'all don't get it. Y'all have added to this whole thing. That's the argument that's happening, okay? And it's because of this division that happened during the Babylonian Empire. Now, the other piece of this is, is that the Jewish people were considered, and again, we have to wrap our minds around the idea of the time period. The Jewish people were considered pure in the fact that it was all from the 12 tribes, the Samaritan people, because of the Babylonians and all this kind of stuff, they've got some pagan things in their bloodlines as well as in their rituals. So there's a huge disconnect. They still profess the same God, Yahweh, which they would not have said because it was too holy to say. Y'all remember that teaching? No? Okay. Well, so, so they, they, they said, they, they, they would, they still, can you imagine, okay, two groups of people that live in the same country, that believe in the same God, and they're, they're, they're at odds. And they get so much at odds that they don't even enter into each other's towns anymore. They don't even converse with each other anymore. So meaning, like, let me give you the actual real example, and this says that in here, uh, if you just read all of that. So if you look on a map, the story that we're about to watch, watch. <laughs> You're watching. I'm not watching anything. Uh, <laughs> but 
if you looked on a map, you would basically have, you would have down here Jerusalem, okay, like in the south, Jerusalem. Then you would have Samaria right here, okay, some cities and stuff. There's like some cities right here. Then you'd have Galilee, and the Jordan River runs kind of beside it, right? So when the Jewish people needed to travel between, you know, Galilee and Jerusalem, which Jesus does quite a bit, uh, and a lot of people did, they would literally walk and get to the edge of where Samaria was, and then they would cross the river, get on the other side of the river and walk, and then they'd cross back over the river. Like, can you imagine that level of disdain for a group of people? And it wasn't one direction. It was both directions. They both hated each other, okay? We have to understand this because this is one of the biggest pieces of the story of the woman at the well. Because anybody want to take a guess that Jesus was a Jewish man and she is called the Samaritan woman. So there's a reason. We're seeing Jesus cross some boundaries and lines in the natural to show us something spiritual right out of the gate. So if you read all that, you'll understand this, this very, very deep difference between the two of them. Okay? So now let's go. Setting the scene a little bit further. We're reading John. It's an abstract narrative. He's telling us some stories. Sunday, we looked at chapter 1 in detail. We already looked at chapter 2, which is where Nicodemus is talking about this born-again experience and being born of the natural and of the spirit, right? That all happened. And now, we, we actually, we're not going to read this part, but, but we also see right here at the beginning, um, we see Jesus doing some baptism stuff. Okay, and so we're going to look at that, and we're not going to read it, but just verses, uh, the first few verses, we're going to talk about what happens here, just so we understand the scene, right? So let's keep this in mind as we're reading all this. Who wrote this, and why did they write it? Keep that in your mind, just if you're asking yourself. John wrote it. He's a Jewish guy who was a follower of Christ. Why did he write it? He wants you to understand the person of Christ. He wants you to understand spiritual things, Okay. Remember, this is not a synoptic gospel. He's not ultra-concerned of whether or not he got all the details right. He wants you to get this spirit understood. Okay, And we need to remember, all Scripture is given for spiritual understanding and natural application. Okay, so let's begin, shall we? Verses 1 through 4, we see this interesting thing. Jesus is instructing his disciples to baptize people. He's not baptizing himself. He's telling his disciples to do it. We ain't got time to go into this, but that's a no-no in the Jewish culture. They're, no. The, the baptism, first off, the way they're doing it is wrong. They're not in the, in the synagogue uh, like they're supposed to be, and they're not doing it you know, in the way that they're supposed to do it with the hands, and they're, not, they're doing it all wrong, first off. Second off, then if you're even doing it, <laughs> and you're doing it outside, only the high priests and the priests are supposed to do it, and Jesus is like, no, you guys, you fishermen, you do it. Jesus isn't doing it, okay? So he's just breaking all kinds of rules here, okay? Um, but while he's doing that, then basically he finds out, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but the, the Pharisees find out this is happening, and he's making a ton of disciples. Basically, his disciples are making disciples. I mean, this is getting out of control. And then Jesus says, when he, basically we find out that when Jesus learns about this, he says, we're leaving. Seems to point to this idea that Jesus is like, we ain't dealing with this today. No stoning not today, okay? So they leave, and he's going back to Galilee, okay? So he's, he's near Jerusalem, the River Jordan, this area, and now he is leaving and headed back north to Galilee. So what's the city between? What's the area between called? Samaria. There's lots of little cities there, all right? And we're going to pick up right here in verse 6 together, okay? 
Well, yeah, yeah. So, so he had to go through Samaria. This is verse four. So we're in John chapter four, verse four. That, and he must needs to go through Samaria. So this means it was necessary that he went through Samaria. Okay. A lot of people talk about why was it necessary? Was it for this woman at the well, or was it for some other reason? Maybe it was for some other reason. It's not really important to the story as to why he was there. We just need to know he was there, and this is what happened. Okay. So then he came, and now. Again, it's on the screen. It is going to be in King James, but you will not hear me say cometh, I will say, and then he came, okay? Like, I'm, just, I'm going to translate here a little bit as we go, um, but I want to keep it in the King James, and you'll see, you'll see why in just a few minutes, okay? Then he came to the city uh, of Samaria, which is called Sakar, okay? Um, now, this word actually here means to be drunken with. Uh, I didn't put that in your notes, but that's just a fun little interesting fact about uh, we're about to talk about a well, and John tells us the name of the town. Now, the name of the town happens to be this because there's a well that Jacob put there. We're about to find out. Near uh, the end of parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and there was a well. Okay, so they dug this well. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat down on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So what this is doing, John likes to set his scene. He's a storyteller, okay? So he's saying, listen, here's the area. Here's where it is. Here's this well. Now, this well would have been well known. <laughs> it would have been very well known to all of them, okay? I, I'm just on the puns today. Yeah, thank you. I need to have that just like, ba or actually, I'm going to have the audience laugh thing to be like, laugh at my jokes, please. Okay, <laughs> But <laughs> so this would have been known. So John's giving people. Can you all imagine like right now, who's ever been to downtown Dallas? So this would be the equivalent of John kind of saying, you're on 35, going over the Trinity River, and you're about to turn, and you're going to see the Omni Hotel. You're going to see uh, Reunion Tower, and it's nighttime outside, like, right? I'm painting you a picture, and you're in your head right now. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. So they know what he's talking about. So they're getting this picture in his mind. Now, if you can picture it, uh, and if you've actually seen The Chosen, this is the one time I will plug, their actual scene setting of this is fantastic. If you watch this little clip, just you can Google The Chosen, Woman at the Well, and you disagree with everything else in it or not, I don't care. But in the scene, you see this kind of hill, and then this big fields all around it, and then the city kind of sets off away from it, because the well's kind of in between here, right? And so he's going up this hill. And so he says, he sat down at the well. I want you to notice something, that Jesus was tired, okay? So this idea that Jesus was Superman, and he was just like, I never eat, I never sleep, I am always awake, and I'm, my body never gets tired. He's tired from walking, okay? He's tired, he's at the top, and he sits down on the well, and it was the sixth hour. That would be like noon, okay? So it's mid-heat of the day. And y'all, like Texas has something in common with this area of the world. It's hot, okay? So it's hot. Verse 7, And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said, Give me drink, or give me two drinks. I want something to drink. I'm thirsty, okay? Verse 8, do you notice it's in parentheses? See this? Parentheses. If you read it, that was not there originally. They added it in later to give you context as to why the disciples are not mentioned right now, and then they're mentioned later, okay? For he sent his disciples away to buy meat or to buy some food, okay? They, they added that in there to give you some context as the reader, okay? Now, what's that? Yes, it could have been vegetables. 
The word meat literally means sustenance, like something to sustain you, something that is necessary for life, okay? Could have been anything, okay? I like to believe it was a nice steak, but, you know, you can believe whatever it is, okay? Uh, So let's break some of this down that we just read, okay? Because i got to give you a little bit of context right here, and then we're kind of breeze through some bigger sections of this a little bit, all right? If you notice right here in your definitions, verse 6, Verse 7, we have some words defined here, okay? This is directly, so you know how I said last week, I was like, when I click on it, you can't read it. This is what I'm clicking on. I copy and pasted it directly for you, so it is, there's no changes to what this is, okay? The first one is this word, well, and it has this idea of like a fountain, a stream, a spring, something coming up from the ground that's like fed, right? That's the idea here. And I want you to notice, if you have the piece of John in Greek, we're going to refer to this. That little first after it says G4077, and then you have those that y'all are like, oh, wow, the printer fritzed out. That's Greek, okay? Uh, That's how you would spell the word in Greek. That's the way it's found in the text for the word well, okay? Now, why that's important is because everything, right, John's writing to help you understand spiritually, it's naturally a well. It is literally a well that exists to this day, right? Uh, I don't know if it's dry or not, but, you know, there's still a well there. But it's also meaning a well spiritually. So we're going to follow this, okay? Now, verse 7, when she says, give me drink, okay? There, here's the definition of drink, okay? That's what serves to refresh you. But it's also figurative, meaning not like just the water. Everything has this natural meaning and spiritual. Like and spiritual understanding, but they're using this natural thing to help us understand it. And then the word new, okay? This word new, not like new, like something brand new, new like to know, to understand, or to perceive, to see. Didn't we just finish reading a whole lot about a light making you see and perceive and all of this stuff? Y'all seeing this, okay? So let's now keep reading. So there comes a woman there to draw water, so to, to, to bring out water. And Jesus said, give me drink, okay? For his disciples were gone away to buy, to buy meat. Now, let's go right here, verse 9. Um, then says the woman of Samaria to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Now, if you didn't know everything I just told you about Samaritans and Jews, you'd be like, oh, it's because she's a woman. He wasn't supposed to talk to her. Well, sure, but the bigger issue was they ain't even supposed to be at that well together, guys. Okay? Like, this is an issue here. And then we keep going. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. See, it tells us a little bit. The Jews and the Samaritans do not. No dealings with means has nothing to do with. Okay? This is showing us the level of separation between these two people, all right? It's important for understanding of what Jesus does here. Verse 10, Jesus answers unto her. It's like Jesus didn't even care. Doesn't really respond to that. Doesn't try to explain why. He just says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says this to you, again, I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but who says this to you to give me drink, you would have asked him or asked me, and I would have given you living water. He says, hmm, we got to define this, living water. Um, I'm totally surprised, by the way, there's not a brand of water at the store called living water by this point. Uh, life water, close enough, yeah. So uh, so verse 11, we're just going to read the story a little bit, and we'll go back and define some things. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. You have no instrument to get water out of this well. And the well is deep. So from where are you going to get this living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and that drank from himself, and his children drank from it, and his cattle drank from it? She's saying this thing has supplied everything, all of life since this point is supplying it. Are you greater than that? 
And again, Jesus doesn't care, and he just keeps talking about his subject matter. Uh, and he says, he answers, which is not an answer at all, if you think about it. Like, she asks him, is he greater? And he doesn't say yes or no. He just says, whoever drinks of the water will not thirst again. Uh, come on, just think about this conversation a little bit. How infuriated would you be <laughs> by someone that every time you ask a question, like, this is kind of what it's like for my wife probably to talk to me. Like, I just keep talking about what I'm talking about, and she's like, I care about this, and I'm like, I don't care about that. I'm just keep talking, okay? So I'm more like Jesus, honey. Uh, so <laughs> he is bullet-pointed in on helping her understand this, right? He says, you never thirst again, but whoever drinks of this water uh, that I give, he shall never thirst again, but the water that I shall give him shall be a well water of water springing up unto everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, sir... Give me this water that I not thirst again, neither do I draw, uh, neither do I come hither to draw. Now we're going to pause right there real quick. She's being quite snarky back, so you can tell she's gotten upset, all right? She's literally mocking him this, in this phrasing. So she's like, all right, if you got this living water, get it to me so I don't have to come do this work anymore. So I don't have to come here anymore. I won't come here anymore. I don't, I don't have to thirst again. Like just, all right, where is it? Give it to me. She's kind of mocking him here, all right? Now, there's also another understanding that we need to see here, which we're about to break down. Let's keep reading, though, and then we're going to go back and define these words. So, but we need to get a breath of this. So we see in this exchange, Jesus is kind of ignoring her questions about the Samaritans. He doesn't say why he care, doesn't care, and everyone else seems to care. He doesn't even answer that. Then she says, are you greater? He doesn't say, yes, I am greater. He just says, hey, I got it. Do you want it or not? Like, come on. And so she says, fine. She kind of mocks him a little bit. And he says, all right, I'll do it. Notice he doesn't contest. Well, why'd you get snippy with me? No, he's just like, all right, let's do it. I'll prove you wrong. So he says, go call your husband. Now, I know, by the way, it doesn't say that, but I'm trying to give you the breadth of how the conversation kind of seems to play out here. He says, so go call your husband to come here. And the woman answered him saying, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, you've said, well, you don't have a husband because you've had five of them. And the one who you're with now isn't your husband, and I'm telling you the truth. And this I say unto you truly. Can we put this in our modern-day vernacular? He says, hey, let's hang out. Let's go get your husband. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, no, you haven't. You had five of them, and the guy you're sleeping with right now ain't even your husband, which also does implore and imply this idea that she still does have a husband. It doesn't say it definitively, but it is implied that the fifth husband is still her current husband. <laughs> so we don't know, but either way, Jesus is straight up reading her mail, knows everything about this, and he says, and I'm telling you the truth right now. And the woman responds, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. <laughs> Could you imagine being in a church service if this happened? <laughs> so do you see, all of a sudden her demeanor changes now. Now he's, he's kind of poked into it, and she says, oh, I see you're a prophet. There's also an issue with this. She did perceive the prophecy, but she didn't perceive who he was saying he was. Let's continue on. So, verse 20. Our fathers worshipped at this mountain, in this mountain. Now, this is in reference to the Samaritans worshipping in the mountain that I told you about, remember? It's, uh, I can't pronounce it right, but it's like G-E-H-I-M uh, -E or something like that. Or maybe there's a couple other letters in there. But, so, they worshipped at this other mountain, and then Jerusalem is where the Jews worshipped. They worshipped at two separate mountains. So, she's saying... Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Because why? They're in Samaria. Samaria is where the mountain that they worshiped from. Are y'all seeing this? Okay. And ye say, being the Jews, say that you worship in Jerusalem. It's the place where men ought to worship. 
Then Jesus responds to her and says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Um, sorry, the hour is cometh. Whoops, don't go away. When you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22. You worship and you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour cometh. And now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus does this kind of monologue here to explain some things. And we just read through it all, and that's about what we get out of it when we read through it. But he packed a lot of information right here. Let's keep reading, and then we're going to go back, okay? So then the woman responds after he says all this. She, she says, well, when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. He'll make all things revealed. And Jesus said, I, uh, I that speak unto thee, I am, or am he, I am he. Verse 27, and upon this, the disciples show up. So here they are, back from uh, Meat Church, and uh, they come back with the provisions. It was just a joke. And they marveled that he was talking with the woman. Why? Because she's Samaritan. She's not supposed to. Yet no man said. So <laughs> the disciples are wimps, guys. They're like, this is wrong. Jesus ain't supposed to be doing this, but don't say anything to him. I'm just... <laughs> He left us hanging out to dry last time. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, they're just like, they're, they're, they're like, whoa, why is he talking to me? Yet none of them said, what do you need? None of them said, why are you talking with her? And at that moment, it says, the woman left the water pot. So the reason she even came there, she just left that. And then went on her way to the city and, uh, and said to the men, to the men of the city, in verse 29, come see a man which told me all things. That I ever did. <laughs> she's getting evangelistically speaking right here because Jesus just said a handful of things about it. And she's like, she told me everything in my life. <laughs> Is this not the Christ? So now she sees it. Is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. Pause. Okay. This is not the end of the story, but we're far enough in to see what's about to transpire. This is kind of the ending of, of Act 2. Because Act 1 was kind of Jesus showing up on the scene. You know, Act 2 is their interaction, and Act 3 is about to come, all right? So at the end of this, let's turn around and now read what we got. Because all you just read was Jesus arguing with some lady and prophesying to her and saying something about living water, which we're like, yeah, it's eternal life because he's Christ, and he's, yeah, you know. And that's about where we leave it. But John is a literary ninja. I love that. He's a literary ninja. He knows what he's doing. And there's a couple of things he's packed into this that us as a modern-day reader, wouldn't catch. But the readers that he wrote to would have totally caught. This is not because it's hidden information. It's simply because our language is different. Does that make sense? We have to clear this up because we sometimes still get mixed up with this idea of why we're having to dig into it and, and, you know, and understand the Greek and the Hebrew and like, see, God just like hid it from it. No. The Spirit is in you. Already, that is the revelation that you need in itself. When we study Scripture, it was written thousands of years ago, we've got to put our mind and shift into, okay, what did they think? How did they talk? What did they mean by this? That's how we get the full understanding. It's not because it's hidden from you, but for you. And this is not because anyone intended to hide it. This is just because a lot of time has elapsed. Can we just think about that for a minute, okay? All right, now let's see what he got for us. 
Let's just go right up here. Now, Jesus says, give me drink. So he's sitting there. The woman is there getting, he's like, hey, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. And the woman says, hey, why are you talking to me? We got that. You don't have dealings with me. And Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says this to you, you would have just asked him for the drink. You would have asked me for it. The word know or newest here, okay, is to perceive. This is John directly calling back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 because Nicodemus is another story that's telling the same thing. And John's saying, hey, it's the same idea. If you perceived it, if you could see it, if you perceived it, if you could see it, if you just open your eyes, stop being dull of hearing. John is just obsessed with people understanding this. He says, and what does he call it? A gift of God, meaning something that is given that you don't have to work for but that is yours if you want to take it, right? You don't have to accept a gift, right? We need to understand that idea of a gift because that's going to come into play as we continue on in our study. Not tonight, but in the future. And who is it that says this? So if you knew who I was, if you knew that, that like, if you knew what's standing in front of you right now, you know, then you'd ask me to give you the drink. But I would give you what? Living water. Let's look up living water right here. Oops, sorry, sorry, sorry. Verse 10, living new uh, uh, and living water. Sorry, I put living twice for you guys because it says living twice. But um, right here, this word is Z-A-O if you look at it right here. Z-A-O. It's very similar to one uh, Z-O-E, which is Zoe. And this is basically a similar word. The difference between the two words we're going to find is there's living water and everlasting water. Living water has to do with something the here and the now. Like it's actively, it's an action being done. So it's living, right? So we say there's a difference in living and living well. No, y'all don't know that song? You can't have it. Okay, no, okay. So living, what is living? You're actively participating in it. Yes? Okay. So that means it's here and now. Yes? Almost like the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes? Okay. So what he's saying is what? Living water. Water is always representative of the life-sustaining thing. Okay? Because how long can you live without water? Like three days, like max, right? How long can you live without food? Seven days, maybe 40 days. Who knows, right? You can live a lot longer than three days. You cannot live. And most of you probably wouldn't survive like a little bit without Dr. Pepper. And water is much more important than that. So water has this idea of it is the self-essential thing that sustains, okay? So he says, I would give you this life of living, this action of life that would sustain. But we have to understand something else about this word living here. You notice right here, I don't know if I can highlight in this. Yay! Okay. I love this phrase right here. To enjoy real life, to have true life, and worthy of the name. Right? Like, what do we say about people? They're like, man, they, don't have, they have no life. What do we mean? Yeah, they're, they're alive, but they're not living. We even understand this in the natural, that there's this difference. And this difference seems to continue on because as you look at it, it means right here, endless in the kingdom of God to live. It carries this idea of a quality of life, something far, far beyond just the fact of 
it's fun and good and pleasurable. It's this quality of life. Now, we've already talked about what is that quality? Genesis. What's the quality of life? That is the God kind of life. It would be a life in direct communion with God. Okay, everybody go back before next Wednesday or Sunday. Watch every single session we just said, did, okay? Because that's all I've said this entire time, okay? So this quality of life, this thing that is endless, this thing that's worthy to be called a name, that is an ever-growing thing currently, is what? It is in direct communion. I'll give you something that is a different quality. God quality. Now the woman says, you have nothing to draw with. So you don't have the instrument needed to do that. For the well is deep. Now we're going to spend a minute right here. What's the word well? Well, well, we just looked at it. Right? Right here. It's this word. P-E with a thing over it. G with a thing. E with a thing over it. I don't know how you'd say that. Peggy Sue. No. <laughs> But what is the meaning of it? It means a source, a supply of water. It means enjoyment. It means a fountain. It means a spring. This is what it means, yes? But it doesn't right here. It's not even the same word, not even remotely close. If you look down in verse 11, the word well that is used here is a completely different word. And it, ha it has an uncertain derivative, meaning it's a word that was created for a specific use. And it means a hole in the ground. Figuratively speaking, it means an abyss, a pit. Now, why did John do this? They're talking about a well, right? Why did he use a different word for the word well here instead of just using the same word well? Because he's pointing out to the reader that in this story that I'm telling you of Jesus' interaction, I'm trying to hint to you that, so you know what he's really talking about is spiritual things. Like if you didn't catch that from this idea of living water and you didn't catch it there, I'm just going to straight up exchange a word to help you understand what I'm talking about. And so what is he talking about? Now the other thing you need to know is this word deep here. This word deep right here uh, basically means something deep, deep or early on. It's almost like early on. It's, it's been here for a while. It's almost like something from Genesis that he's referring to is early, early, early that this deep thing has happened. And the root of the word deep means like a walking or a step. So it's like it was something you did. So that's, that's the root of it here. Now let's flip back and look at what he's saying, what, what's being said here. When the woman says, so why did John write this different well? The first well, we're talking about the physical well and means it's a source of life. So we're understanding that this source of life is here. But this one, it says, do you have nothing, no instrument to draw from because this well, this pit, this abyss is deep. Guys, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness, uh, uh, the Spirit of God was upon the face of the deep. That word deep is the word abyss. This is John, again, saying, what Jesus is here to fix is the thing you screwed up at the beginning. And this woman here is saying, you can't fix my mess. It's too deep. And you don't have the right tools. So where then is this living water coming from? And she uses the same word, living water. Now, verse 12 right here. Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank from him himself? 
from his cattle and everything else. Now, what, what, what's being said right here in verse 12? The word well right here in verse 12 is the same word. So if you look in that pamphlet that I gave you, where there's all the Greek, I highlighted in yellow for you. Just because I wanted you to prove that I'm not, I wanted to prove to you, I'm not making this up. And if you look at it, there were some on the back table, if we're out of them, we can print out some more. If you look on the one, it says John chapter 4, and at the top it has a yellow box and it says well on it. And if you look, there are four highlighter marks on it, right? That's the actual Greek word, and if you look... If you look at that page and then you look at the notes that I gave you right here and you looked at after it says G in a number, in this case it'll say 5421, you'll see the Greek lettering. And if you look, you'll notice the Greek lettering matches up. And you'll notice the first two times it matches up, it's the word well, and the next two times. So that's proof to you. In that verse, in that scripture right there, he uses the word, in English it's the word well because we don't have different words for it, but he exchanges he uses the fountain idea well, and then in this interchange right here, he uses this idea of this pit abyss, this hole dug in the ground to, to like, I mean, it's, it's a whole different idea. But why? He's trying to paint this picture of what Christ is coming to fix, and the woman, he's trying to paint the picture to show the woman is messed up. <laughs> and she views... That Jesus doesn't have the proper materials, the proper thing about him, the proper character, something about him or what he does or does not have cannot fix this. So when she says this next in verse 12, are you greater than the ones that come before us that created this? Can you do more than our forefathers? Remember, the Samaritans only abided by the Pentateuch. So what she is referring to here is the law. That's the spiritual understanding of what she's referring to. Now, if you don't believe me, keep going. John is alluding to the Old Testament about the law and the works of the prophets beforehand and all the patriarchs beforehand that she would have known about. And John is, is writing this out for us to try to help us understand the same thing he said all the way in verse one, or chapter 1 and verse Chapter 2, and all the way back to the first session that we did about this idea of fulfillment, meaning he can overcome this dark. Because that's the next thing that she says, right? Are you greater than them? Can you overcome what they've created for us, right? Now, after she says that, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will not thirst again. This word thirst right here is this word like, uh, like parchment. And like desire, like it's a desire, it's a necessity. It's beyond just the fact of you want and need a drink. It's like you're, you're about to die if you don't get it. <laughs> like that's the idea. To, like you're suffering in this. It's almost like with this idea of you won't thirst again, it's like this idea of no suffering anymore, no, no pain anymore, like salvation or something like that. I'm being facetious. That's exactly what it means. <laughs> so if you drink of this, partake of this. Now, whoever drinks of this water that I give him shall never thirst again. Now, how important is that? He says it multiple times. If you drink of this one, you will thirst again. If you drink of this one, you'll never thirst again. He's pointing out the differences. What is that difference? This one is natural, woman. <laughs> Linda. We'll call her Linda. Can we call her Linda? <laughs> this one is natural. What I'm referring to, you'll never need that again. This is the more important one. 
Are y'all seeing this? So, but the water that I shall give them will be a well. Oh, wait, now this word well is back to the original word well. You see what John's doing? He's helping you understand what a well does and what it is and how it springs up things and it gives life and it's a sustaining source. And then he says, but (laughs) in the spirit, you guys are a deep, dark pit of despair. (laughs) And you don't know that Jesus can fix this. But Jesus turns around and says, I'm going to give you the water so you'll never thirst again. And then you yourself will become what? A well that it springs up from within you. And he switches it back to the other well when he's writing. Now to help you understand, now it's something that flows out. It's something that, it's almost like a, it's kind of like a water representation of like a light. Because a light illuminates things and water sustains things. Are y'all seeing this? So he's saying this well, and it will spring up unto everlasting life. Now let's look at this real quick in verse 14. So we defined well, and it looked right here. It's back to the original word well. Okay, you can look at it on that piece of paper. Oh, actually, I didn't. I didn't go all the way to four, verse 14. But if you want to, that's on gntreader.com. It is a uh, Greek New Testament reader, and you can actually look at that yourself. Okay, now, everlasting life. This word everlasting is basically the same word that we would use for eternal life. So some translations actually say eternal life. But we need to understand this idea of eternal. This is not directly uh, necessary for our study tonight, but it is very uh, important to understand when you see any reference to eternal. Eternal in our minds, unfortunately, we think of it this way. When I die, I now enter into eternity. Don't we say that? And that is a falsehood. Eternity does not have a beginning or an end. It has no beginning and no end. Okay? A line has a beginning and can have an end, or sometimes it has an arrow, meaning it will continue forever. But eternity does not. It's like a circle. Like it has no beginning, no end. Like time is irrelevant to it. Okay? The reason that's vitally important, not to this study, but as we continue on, because the argument of that is spirit, meaning it is eternal. And we commonly in our minds think eternal life, when I die here, then it begins. But it is already. And see, when we think that way, I'm just going to go off on it for a minute because I can. And y'all are all sitting there anyway. So, Because that when with this mindset of when this life is over, then eternity will begin for me. And then you'll just have to catch up. This is this mixed up idea of everything about how life works. And also, then you also assume that the idea of the death, chaos, destruction, or we commonly refer to as hell, also only begins at some other time. But that completely goes against everything in Scripture. It is eternal. Always has been, always will be. So thus, in this moment here and now, it is also existence, which would be why Jesus said the kingdom is now. Now, life. Now, this word life here, it's the word zoe. Not the other one, Z-O-A. Or Z-A-O, sorry. This is Z-O-E. What's the difference in living in life? This is in reference to one also to come. It is and is to come, and it's the exact same understanding of this quality of life. And it goes even deeper into the idea of Christ and the word logos, which we will get to. Um, here. So you can read all the definitions of that, but it's the state of, of not just the action of living, but it's the state of being that you are in. 
So you notice how he uses these two different words because he's trying to point out something to you. At the beginning, he's talking about, I'm going to give you living water, which means the sustaining thing is an active thing that you are a part of here and now and forever. And then that you're also, because of that, you're in a state of being that is that. He's trying to show you that there's action and there's the state of being. You may be asking yourself right now, self, why is that important? Because all of us just want the state of being. We just want to go to heaven. We don't want living water because that means you have to live as water. I just thought of <laughs> be water, my friends, <laughs> if y'all know that. It's, yeah. uh, we just want the state of being, but we don't want the life actions that are required when you're in that state. See, we have it reversed. We think you have to do the actions to get in the state. And God says it in the re- exact, actually we say it in reverse of what God said because his did come first. After all, we just discussed eternity. So he says, no, you're in this state and it derives your action. Okay, y'all are just. Now, let's continue on. So she smarts off right here, right? The woman says, well, then give me this water. So I thirst and I not come. Now, remember, this is her response because she doesn't quite believe yet. But John is also doing something here for us. Notice, is this too much for you guys? Y'all cool? Okay. Notice, we're only on verse 15, dig gum it. Notice that right here, Jesus has only ever referred to this idea of thirsting. The idea of drawing, of actually getting the water, Jesus never brings up. But she throws that in there. In her response, the woman says, so give me this water you talk of. And then she says, so I won't thirst, like you said. And then also, I won't have to come here to draw. What is she trying to do? I ain't got to work anymore. (laughs) That's what I just heard you say. That's the Christian response. (laughs) What I just heard you say was I just just get and drink and say whatever you want me to say, and then I ain't got to do this anymore. We would commonly call this in our day and age the escapism gospel. Meaning, say the words, do, do the thing, and then you just escape. Like, you just hurry up and get out of here. But it also gives us something else. John is also showing us the quality of this living water. What happens when you do take it? You don't thirst anymore, meaning your desire changes. But he also shows you something else. Your entire pattern of life will change. And maybe that's why we don't want it. Y'all didn't catch that that's what John's doing. Again, you've got to remember, John is telling you this so you can understand some things about this water. He's not just telling you what she said so he could be, you know, look, look, she smarts off. This will be a funny comical relief in my story. He's trying to show you some ideas here. Now, Jesus says to her, go call your, or Jesus says to her, call your husband. I have no husband. So he prophesies to her right here. This is prophecy in and of itself right here. He prophesies to her. And then she says, I see you're a prophet, but she doesn't see what he's saying. She just sees that now, yeah, okay, you're like one of these prophets, you know, that, like God's, that God's talking to. And then we get into this whole thing about the, the hours coming. Can, can I have 20 minutes? 8.30? That's cool. If you need to leave, leave. It's recorded. But I'm just going to keep going. Even none of y'all are here. I'm just having fun. So verse 21, he now tells her after, oh, I just broke the pen. He tells her that, hey, this mountain or this mountain, this is what she's saying, and what does he do right here? He says, believe me, the hour cometh. We have to change some things right here. Hour cometh. Oh, thank you. The hour cometh. I need something to click because I don't want, you know. 
when we, when we look at this, hour cometh, we think the hour is coming. And that's not what that says. That word cometh is not to come, but that hour cometh means because of. Like, that, it, like it's here. Like, since it's, since it's here. Because of this thing. So we read it like it's something Jesus is saying will come. He does clarify that, right? Because <laughs> in the next two verses, he says, for the hour cometh. He says it again, and then he says, and it's now, just in case you're so thick-headed you don't get it. So the first thing he says is, when neither shall in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem. So he's saying, in the place you think you're supposed to worship, in the place that the Jews think you're supposed to worship. Neither one of those. You ain't going to worship the Father there. Now, real quick, verse 22, we got to break this apart real quick. I'm going to go as fast as I can through it. You can read all the definitions to see where I got this understanding. But he says, you worship, and you know not what. A better way to phrase that is you worship, but you don't know who. Because that what is, a, is like a, a, a who or a what. But obviously, what we're referring to is the Spirit of God here, the Father. So think of it more like a who. We know what we worship. Now, we phrase that, and it sounds like Jesus is saying everything about the Samaritans is wrong and everything about the Jewish faith is right. But again, that's the way we talk in English today, and it kind of shifts its meaning. A better way to phrase this would be, you should know what we worship. If you notice right here, if you don't believe me, just real quickly, see all these dark, dark red letters here? Those are words that aren't actually there. Those are words that we added in English because otherwise if we removed them, it would be like, you know, but our comes now is when true, like it would sound like broken English. So they just added it. And that's fine. It helps us for the most part. And at the time that this was written in King James and even in mo most of the other translations, if you read some of the even newer ones like the ESV, it does change it because it says, hey, we don't talk this way anymore. And people don't actually get what it's trying to say. It's not because the translators, I just got to clear this up because I get, keep getting these questions. They did not maliciously try to lead you astray with anything. If you rewound time to the 1600s, which was when this was written uh, in English in 1611, <laughs> they talked very different. We probably could not have conversed with them. Because we'd be like, hey, you want some froyo? First off, frozen yogurt didn't exist. Second off, they'd be like, they are speaking another language. Okay. Different languages. So a better way to phrase this would have been, you need to know what we worship, because know what we worship. Know this woman, Linda. For salvation is of the Jews. This phrase right here is just simply Jesus saying that from the lineage of Jewish people, there are prophecies, but they don't follow all those prophecies, only a few of them. Remember, they only look at the first word. So he's saying, because all the prophecies, everything is showing that the Messiah will come from the Jewish people. So you need to know that. And the Messiah being the one sent to save, the word salvation here is the word soteria, soteria in the Greek. It means to be saved, to be brought out of, but more importantly, to be brought into something else. We always want to do the outside of it. But there's a flip side of that. It's not just, you know, like... <laughs> That's like in all the scary movies when they're like, we'll pick you up and take you to the edge of the road, and they drop them off still in the dark woods. That's like what y'all think about what God has done. It's like he saved us from that darkness and just put us in a little bit more light. The idea is I brought you into something completely new and different, okay? So he says this is going to come from the Jewish lineage. Uh, pray do tell. What is he talking about? His lineage. 
which every other gospel attests to and says, hey, here's where he was born from. Why? Because there was prophecies that said he would be born from these ways. So they showed them what? Fulfilled. Are y'all seeing how many times I'm repeating myself over the last four weeks or three weeks or however many weeks? It feels like forever. So salvation of the Jews. So the hour comes. The hour is now. And because it's now, right now, okay, if it was now 2,000 years ago, it's past due. Now, I'm saying that somewhat, you know, goofily, but goofily? Somewhat, uh, you know, as a joke, but we need to think of it this way. We are behind the eight ball here, guys. And so were the disciples. You'll see that in a minute. Okay, so, um, for the hour comes and now when true worshipers, this word true here, and I love this, this, this if you look at it, it says, that which has not only the name and the resemblance, but the real nature, the real nature of it. Almost like you have a human nature and you should abandon that and gain this other nature. True worshipers. Now, the word worshiper is the one who does the act of worshiping, and we're about to see, and if you look, I've already defined it there. Worship, very commonly, it's the equivalent of like a dog licking the hand of the master, this kind of an idea, but it means more. Like that, that kind of gets a little too far outside of our realm because like, well, I don't have dogs. I have cats and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Worship means to bow down, meaning I bend my thoughts, my opinions, my everything. Everything you think you know, it is bent to the derivative of whatever he says. Meaning like the very thing we didn't do in Genesis. The very thing that you are not doing right now in your lives, that I am not doing right now in my life, we can't even keep up with this if he said so, much less something that is not even tangible. It's a lot harder to keep track of your thoughts than it is to keep track of something physical. Y'all seeing the depth that he is trying to communicate here. True, not just by name. Not just by calling yourself a Christian, right? We can see this. True worshipers, true people, that not just in name but in every characteristic have bowed every aspect of who they are, and they will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, the word spirit, we've talked about this quite a bit. It means breath. It means life. It's almost like it's the same tie back to this everlasting life idea, this zoe life, this, this thing that is built up that's a quality of life to be in direct communication with God. And he says, so you're going to worship him in that way. We also call this righteousness. You're going to worship him in that way and in truth. And this word truth is different than the word true, but it has a lot of the same connotations to it. But the word truth here means, and I love this phrasing, I just you can't get it any better. Truth is what is true in any matter under consideration. Could you imagine having the same answer to every single question in life? What is the answer to life? 42. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is what he says. You are going to worship. (laughs) Come on, on, guys. Break this down for a minute. (laughs) True worship. Don't just hide the name. And not sometimes, but all the time. Bent. 
to the will, plan, and purpose of God in every aspect of your life, keeping track of every single idea and thought because you're put in this state and thus actions come from this state. And he says, and when you do that, you're going to worship the Father, you're going to worship God in spirit, in this stance, in life, in breath, meaning it's not, an eternal, it's not a later thing, it's a now thing. You're going to do it in this way, in this righteousness. You're going to do this thing in spirit and in any matter under consideration. Meaning, you always have the same answer. When was the last time we had the same answer to different problems in life? See, we like to think of our problems like, well, you don't understand. This one, I do. It's just, I, spirit and truth. You don't get to change your answer. Is that your final answer? That is your final answer. It says that. And it says the Father is seeking. And the word seeking there means desire, avidly looking for. Meaning it must be kind of hard to find. <laughs> I mean, last time I checked, God's all-knowing. I know we don't like this, but. And I hear all your excuses right here. This is probably, I would say, one of like the second hardest verses to truly not want to avoid. No. Okay, I'll stop preaching. I'll just continue on. You don't want to change your life, don't. That's fine. Uh, Okay, verse 24. God is a spirit. No. God's spirit. (laughs) A better way to phrase this with God is spirit. And notice this S is capitalized, and it's not capitalized, the very next phrase. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so look, now we have the spirit and truth thing again. You can almost see that Jesus is consumed with the idea of in life, And in any matter and circumstance, almost like because he's about to be in some circumstances in which his decision could change. If y'all don't know, it's foreshadowing. I hate to give away the end. Spoiler alert, Jesus is crucified. Okay, so like he's about to be in a situation, in a matter in which he could reconsider all of his statements. Guys, come on. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of our studies, but what does he say to Pilate? They say, if you truly are the Son of God, change your mind on this. All you have to do is say, you're not the king. And he doesn't. He does the same thing he actually does here, by the way. He just doesn't even answer the question. He just states other things, okay? Like, not moreover than that, when he's up there, they're saying, come down off the cross. You could do it if you are who you say you are. And he doesn't change his decision. It's almost like for all eternity it rings holy, 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 dedicated, 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 unchanging, unwavering, the same in any circumstance. For most of us, God is the most schizo mind in all of creation. You get it? Because he's made creation. That was funny in my mind. Uh, for most of us, within one day, God has changed where he's, his authority has changed, his goodness has changed, his mind has changed. When one minute he tells you this and the next minute he tells you that. That's probably because it's not God. That's just you. One of them's probably God. And it's probably the one that you quickly bypassed. Okay, so he says it again. God's spirit, this spirit, this capital S, this life, this breath, this pneuma, the very thing that brought everything into existence in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. What is word? It's spoken things, okay? You must worship him 
in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, we'll know all this when the Messiah comes. Still doesn't see who he is. And which is called the Christ. So if you look, the word Christ and Messiah, okay? And when he has come, he'll tell us all things. And, and, and then he says in her, I am the, uh, uh, I am he. That's not what it says, though. Because <laughs> y'all notice, did I not scroll enough? Oh, yeah, I did. There it is, way up there. I speak the am. Better way to phrase that in English would be, I say I am. What other verse says that exact same phrasing that the woman at the well would have known? It would have been Moses at the burning bush. And then what does he say? Who should I say sent me? And his, the burning bush or the spirit of God's response is, I am. Just See, that's, we think she believed just because he said, yeah. And she's like, they just, she just believed him. Like, because he just said it was true. Because Jesus just spoke and people just believed. No, there's tons of people that didn't believe. What's the difference? (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Jesus did something you don't do. He knew the word of God. And he knew exactly what to say, when to say it, to change the heart of a person. Exactly what to say, when to say it. So she shifted her whole perspective. He's not a prophet, just a prophet. If he knows this and he's saying that, he... (laughs) This is huge. And she changes everything. Matter of fact, so much so, the disciples come and marvel, right? And they don't say anything about it. But then she left the very reason she came there, which was what? A natural substance. Guys, this is not hard. John is trying to paint a picture right here. She grasped hold of the spirit side of things so much, she completely detached from the natural and just left it there. In the heat of the day. And we're complaining because Jared went 22 minutes over. Okay. Do we see this? What John is saying. Now, I get it. Some of you right now are saying, well, Jared's just always saying that. It's all about spirit. It's all about spirit. It's not about natural. But you don't understand. Yeah, I do. I just don't care. We have got to grasp hold of it like this woman here when she sees it. And and, then the issue is either we haven't seen it or we are doing the very thing that Romans talks about, which is saying we just desire what we want over it anyways. So she leaves everything there and goes away to the city and says to the man, come and see all of these things, right? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. So now what do we see? I am going to keep going just for a few more minutes, guys, because I'm getting really excited. This is the part I've wanted to get here uh, because this was the new stuff to me, okay? So now if we can see this picture, remember the picture. Close your eyes if you've got to. You know, you can have a tree anywhere. This is your world, like Bob Ross, whatever you got to do, okay? Because they're on the top of this hill and she goes running down the hill to the city, And the disciples are up there with him. And the disciples, in verse 31, the disciples say, because if you imagine, see what it says? She went to the city and the the men are coming. So now there's a group of people. You're sitting on a hill. You're the disciples. You know the pattern. There's a bunch of people coming, Jesus. We're about to do this, aren't we? We just finished doing this, baptizing all these people. Now you want us to do it all over again. We haven't even made it to Galilee. Can we just hurry up? That's us, right? Can we be fair with that? Okay, so what happens? It says, the men are coming out now. There's a group of people coming towards them. They're far off, though. And so the disciples pray him. That, that means they petition. They ask him, Master, eat. I mean, hey, you need to eat something. And he says unto them, come on, guys, this should not be hard. His answer unto them is, I have meat 
that ye know not of. What did he just say to the woman at the well? I have water that you don't know of. Y'all seeing this? He's just like, well, these are a little more thick-headed people, meathead people, so I'm just going to say I, don't have, I have meat. Substance, sustaining, it's the same idea. He's, he's teaching the same sermon now. Turning right back around, and he just says, let me use a different analogy, because they weren't here. But I, I know what, yeah, same thing. He says the same thing that you don't know of. You don't perceive it. And therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him food? Did you get him Chick-fil-A? Did he, did he, now, what is John doing here? Two things. Number one, he's kind of poking fun at himself because he was one of the disciples. So he's kind of here saying, like, look, like, look, look at him. They don't get it. Like, you as the reader, you get it, right? Because I wrote the different words well. You have to think. Like, you're kind of entering in to a relationship with the writer. He's telling you a story. So he's like, hey, reader, <laughs> you get it. They don't, but you get it. The other thing he's doing is showing us, hey, reader, this is you. It's blatantly in front of you, and you still just don't get it. So Jesus goes on and says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, my meat, my sustaining thing, the thing that keeps me going is to do the will. The word will here is to do the wishes or the things determined to be so, the purposes I don't know if y'all can read that. I, I, I'm not going to switch back and forth for the sake of time. The purposes, okay, of him that sent me, and this word sent is a, is a pretty good one. Uh, <laughs> I like it. To, to bestow upon or to send, to bid a thing to be carried to someone. Guys. So see, we think, what? What did we say? Out of something, into something. So we commonly sometimes think that it's like Jesus came to save us means to rescue. That's actually a secondary definition of this understanding of sent and save. The primary thing is you're carrying something with you to give to somebody, like a gift. No? Okay. Okay, so to do this, the hymn that sent me, and to finish, the word finish means to make complete. It also means to fulfill. This work, and the word work here, means business or employment. Or that to be occupied with. It's the same word we see in the other verses that I already read you, okay? And then Jesus says this. We're almost there. Look, we can see all the verses that we're going to read. We're almost there. Uh, Say not yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Who's heard this? Say not four months, then comes the harvest. For the fields are white on the harvest. Who's ever heard that? Raise your hand. Okay? Whoever knew it happened at the well where the woman was talking about? I didn't. I, I never really, like, I, people kind of stopped. The woman at the well, and she got saved. Yay! But there's a whole group of people coming, and Jesus is having to teach his disciples, like, dude, you guys, get it together. Think, think spiritually here with me, because we got a whole group of people coming. All right? And he says, hey, don't say wait four months, then the harvest. Now, that has to do with, with sowing and reaping, and we're about to see this. He says, and then the harvest comes. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white and ready to harvest, meaning they are ready. It's, but guys, what's in the field? No, literally, in the story, what's in the fields right now? Who is walking from the city? We read this and we think it's all metaphorical. This is one of the flip sides. We think Jesus is saying, don't look out on the fields. Don't, just look. Look at all the grain. And it's an analogy. It's not, it's a literal thing. Jesus is saying, look out there. Look at all these Samaritans. Look at all these people that you despise, by the way. Look at all of them, all the people you don't like, by the way. And they all are wanting something and needing this thing in which we're here. And don't say, wait, it's time right now. 
you lazy bums. That's Jared's addition. <laughs> Do y'all see that? Now, I've been raised in church my whole life. And it's always been metaphorical. And when I saw it placed in this story, I was like, Jesus wasn't always just like this aloft. He's like, look, right there, those people, that's your harvest right there. Now, for me personally, and it should hit you this way, the people were people that they were not cohesive with. It was not comfortable. Moreover, we're about to read, then the people ask him to stay. Can you imagine? The disciples are like, we're trying to get stoned in our own towns. Then you got us over here with these other people that we have had a hate rivalry with for, for hundreds of years. There is just no place comfortable with you. Okay. Look, lift, lift up your eyes. Like, look, there they are. It's ready right now. Do y'all see this constant theme of now? I have no clue where modern Christianity got off on the someday in the sky and the sweet by and by. No idea, because it ain't here. Now, verse 36. And he that reaps receives a wage. What is Jesus saying here? Hey, you that do the work, you, you get paid. Money, 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 money. No, that's not the currency of heaven. That's not the currency of eternity. Every kingdom has a currency, so what is the currency? So reaps a wage and gathers the fruit unto eternal life. This is kind of an interesting little, yeah, some, somebody's getting it. It's the first, he's saying, hey, you're going to see some fruit, but it's going to be, so he's straight up telling you, you ain't getting paid for this, bro. You are going to get something that's about this Eternal life, this beginning and end, this spirit, this quality of life, you're going to get that. And because of that, both that sow and he that reaps rejoice together. Guys, remember I said at the beginning in chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 35 through 33, and John says, I've done this work and I'm fulfilled in joy that he must increase and I must decrease because why he's the forerunner. This is pulling back together saying the one that did all the work and the one that gets to look and, and be all the joyful, both are, are equal, happy, and joyful in this fulfillment of life. Meaning, moreover, you don't care if you get the glory or not. Now let's keep going. Verse 37, and herein is the true, and now we're back to this true, I'm saying it true, constant. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap where you have bestowed no labors. <laughs> and other men labored, and you will enter into their labors. Now, real quick, let's break this down. So I'm telling you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, listen, I'm telling you the truth right now. Someone else sows, someone else reaps. You're going to reap on things that you didn't have to work for. Guys, either Jesus is lying or he has a very definition, different definition of laboring, working in this life. You're like, why? where are you getting that from? Uh, just read the stories of the disciples. They all got pretty much brutally murdered and like their life was not great. Not by our standards anyways. 
So pick, choose you this day. Jesus was a liar. And John, because he wrote it. And the disciples, because they kind of agreed on this with all of the others, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, all of them. Or his definition is vastly different than ours. Meaning all of the blood, sweat, and tears, this is preaching to myself right now, that you put into people and all of that kind of stuff, that white heart, he says, you ain't working. That's not work. That's just harvesting. That's the fun part. Like I said, that's just preaching to myself, okay? I'm preaching to the choir, which happens to be me. Now, what else is he referring to? There is a parable that we're going to read, and that parable says, and we read it not too long ago, it says, we knew you were a hard master. This is a servant with the talents. And what do they say about this master? It says, you reap in fields you did not sow. John is alluding to that right here. And he said, of other men's labors, and that you enter in, to their labors, and what that enter into their labors means is that you enter into to the, to the wages, to the, to the things that they worked for, you get the benefit of. Now, it's the last three verses right here. Y'all cool? Yes. All right. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him. So they, they, they came to him and they sought him out and they asked of him that they, he would tarry, he would stay with them and abide there for two days. I mean, stay there for a few days. Now, again, we read this and be like, yeah, stay a couple days. Yeah, no worries. That's even a bigger no-no. You don't stay in the same place as these people. You don't even walk there, much less eat of their food. We don't get that because in our day and age, like, yeah, we eat at restaurants. No, eating with someone is, is this personal, sacred thing. And for people to give, like, this, this is a lot. That's why they besought, that's why they asked of him because you, can you tell, can you hear the disciples right now? They don't cook the chicken right. No. <laughs> like, they're, they're, maybe it was they eat pork. I don't know. But, like, the, the point being is that they don't want to stay, and so they're asking him to stay, and then he stays, right? Now, verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. That word, word, is the word logos, which is the same word from from. Well, in Genesis, uh, except for it's not Logos, uh, it's, a, it's a, the, uh, the Hebrew of it. But in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So, verse 42, And they said unto the woman, so now they look back at Linda, and they say, Now we believe, not because of your sayings, not because of anything you said, because we have heard from him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, real quick, let's break this down because y'all just heard, yay, Easter sermon. <laughs> now, <laughs> what's not written here is that Linda had the well woman ministries. And let's go. Do you want to hear the words that Jesus said to me? She started no ministry. As a matter of fact, people said, anything you did, what is this calling back to? Do the work. Who cares about the glory? 
and said, this is not anything you said. It's because we heard from him ourselves. And I would phrase it this way, and y'all may say, you're taking too much liberty with the word of God. No, I'm not, because it's in me. It's in you. So I don't, I'm not taking liberty. I'm saying what he said. What this right here is saying is time for the church to be this way, to be people that says, I don't care what you said about it. I'm not living off of your word. I'm living off of his word, because I hear it from him directly now. I don't need you to tell me anything else. I know the spirit of God now. But we can't do that. Why? Because we don't spend any time with him. And we listen to our own thoughts, not his. I know, yeah, it hit a little too hard. Well, what's the purpose of you, Jared? Uh, John the Baptist, point you to him and say, go away. <laughs> not literally. <laughs> James is like, I've been trying to do that for 30 minutes. No. <laughs> <sighs> I am totally putting a hidden camera here. I'm just going to everything, and we're, we're going <laughs> to. What is he saying here, though? I mean,. Do y'all get it? This is where it talks about multiply and saying going first in Jerusalem, Judea, right? Like this is important here. That's huge. We heard it from him ourselves. Now, real quick, the things they heard from him themselves are the same things that she had said. So if you get off on your other kind of wackadoo stuff and it's not matching up with things God has already said, that's how we know it's not God. Here's a little helpful hint real quick, and then I'm going to define Savior of the world. That's the last thing I want to define for you guys, and it's big. It's quick, but it's big. But it's this right here. Many of us, when we, when we try to dis- discern what God is saying to us, we need a little helpful hint. And here's the helpful hint. If the things you think that God is saying and doing ends... In any kind of chaos, destruction, darkness of any kind, in the metaphorical term, then it ain't God. Easiest answer. Just write it down. And every time you think you're about to do something, that all it's actually causing is more chaos and drama and death and all of this. Just, it ain't God. You're actively propagating the kingdom of hell. Stop. Now, now that we know what God's voice, we will know indeed this is the Christ. We're going to define the term Christ and Messiah heavily later on, but it means the one that was prophesied sent to save. And here it is, Savior of the world. You ready for this? Y'all, you ready for this? The word Savior means DoorDash. (laughs) And here's why. Y'all think Savior like Rescuer. And yes, that is a secondary definition. But the primary one means a preserver, a deliverer. And again, y'all think deliverer, y'all think like out of something. That's only half of the equation. Think DoorDash, delivery. What do they do? They have something that, that they have in their possession. And they bring it to you. Now, wouldn't it be nice if it was like Jesus and it was a gift and you have to pay for it? <laughs> you know, be like, out back every night. Okay, but Jesus has this thing. So a savior is someone, he's a door dasher. He has it, he comes, and he says, hey, do you want this thing? Because it's yours. And there's no COVID policy if we drop it off at your door. Like he, He's going to kick open the door and say, here you go. <laughs> do you want this thing? This is a better understanding of a savior. So someone who 
has something, and moreover, like, is the thing itself, because the word Savior actually comes from an ancient idea that they would bestow, like they would call kings of their nations, because what they specifically did was did something. They were someone who did something that caused the betterment of their nation, and they would call them the Savior of their nation. Or maybe one could say kingdom. So a Savior has it, brings it, do you want it? Of what? So what did he have that then he brought and said, do you want it? Savior of the world. But you can't see it from there. This is a real word. That's a real word. That is English because otherwise it would have said he's Christ, Savior, world. Which wouldn't make much sense in English, so we put the world. But there's an issue. Because we've been defining the word world for quite some time, haven't we? Let's just define this together, and then y'all can go home and say, like, oh, he talks so long. Mouth about me, I don't care. Right about here. The word world. Do you notice that does not say cosmos, first off? It says cosmen. And do you notice it gives you all the really intellectual whatnots? A harmonious arrangement. I love this part. The state of a person or thing ought to be in. So he is the guy who's got it, this state you ought to be in. This word. He saved it for you. And then he brought it to you and delivered it to you. What? Right standing with God. We say the word. He's the Savior. We sing, sing songs. Savior of the world. And I always thought that, like, man, it ain't going to blow up. But then we turn around and say, he's going to blow it up. I don't get that. But, you know, we don't understand what we're saying, right? What does this phrase mean? It means Jesus, the Christ, this Messiah, is the one who has this upright standing, this way you ought to be in direct communication with God, like in Genesis. And not only did he have it, he brought it to you and said, do you want it? Because you can have it <laughs> free of charge. Well, except for your life. I mean, like, that's kind of the, it, it is free. But there's almost like an action. Remember, he was talking about everlasting life, like living thing. There's just like, it, it, it's yours, but you do have to take it. You have to receive this gift. And, you know, if your hands are already full, you can't pick up something else. Mm-hmm. But. I just want to add one little extra thing. The other thing you need to know about this is this is masculine, which means a man, not a thing. This definition, a person or a thing, is saying like, you know, because the word cosmos, this is a bigger, remember they have 26 some odd ways of spelling the same word. So this is a, a person, and this is in masculine form, which means man, not, a, not like a, a male, but like humans, Okay. So it's the orderly arrangement, the way man, mankind, ought to be. But it's also this thing down here. It's genitive case, okay? And this case right here in English would be the equivalent of saying mine, yours, his, or hers, something like that. So can we put this in full context? He is, well, that's not up there. There we go. <laughs> he is the Savior of not the world, not something detached from me. He is the Savior of our upright state, of my upright state, that's what he delivered to me. 
I was expecting a hallelujah at least, guys. Come on. I mean, <laughs> we say the phrase, Savior of the world, and we think he saves the planet. Like, literally. When we say the world, y'all think planet. And then if you go past the planet and you think, well, he saved people from burning in hell for all eternity. It's like, I, not everybody, apparently. Because, you know, some people just choose not to pick up the, I don't know. Like, that, that doesn't seem to quite fit the bill. But the, what does fit the bill is this idea in which he is the embodiment of what we would call righteousness in right standing with God, direct communication, which is how he didn't sin. Remember, we talked about that in the last week. And then not only was he it walking on earth saying, hey, are you observing this? I am the way, the truth, and the life, that, that Zoe type thing. He says, but then I'll give it to you. It's yours. And these people who at the beginning of the story, didn't even want to talk to the man. Now we're saying, he is delivering unto me the very thing that I really desire in my heart, to be in direct communication with God, upright standing with God. He is my, he, he is the delivery system of my state of being. Which is why Paul says later on in all of his gospel, or all of his writings, uh, that he says it this way, he says, you were made Meaning from the beginning you were made that way, created that way. And then when Christ came and put it back to you, you're made in that stance. All you got to do 